The Reset Podcast is a show about fresh starts. In business, career, relationships, health, and life in general, sometimes we all go forward to a new square one. Every moment is a new opportunity to begin again, and my guests will tell you how, when, and why they decided to reset their lives. I'm Franklin Taggart. Welcome to The Reset Podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Franklin Taggart with the Reset Podcast, and I am delighted today to uh, present my my good friend Tim Wade. Um, I've known Tim for a few years now, and uh, I'm always uh, delighted to be around him and inspired by his story. And um, he's a fantastic, uh, creative individual, um, and he's got some really interesting turns in his life that we're going to be talking about today. Welcome, Tim. Hey, Franklin. How are you? I feel real good, man. I feel real good. Me too. Glad to be here. Thanks. It's December in Colorado, mm-hmm. which means that it's been pretty cold all day. And uh, so I've been kind of staying inside with the dog. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me and the dog. That's that's the life, man. That is the life. I, I, am, I agree. <laughs> well, we're going to go way back in your career, in your life, and we're going to start right. talking a little bit about that uh, when you first started out um, in your career path, uh, you were really looking toward the whole idea of being an actor, an entertainer. And um, can you tell us a little bit about how that, how that started for you? Yeah, it started young. I was probably nine years old. And uh, at nine or 10, I wanted to be an auteur. I didn't just want to be, I, I don't know if, if I knew the word at the time, but I wanted to be actor, writer, director, hyphen. Wow. So I made my old. first, yeah, yeah. I made my first eight millimeter film, um, got all the neighborhood kids together. Mom sewed costumes. Dad was the cameraman. And we made a little uh, silent flick called The Good Old Days, which was Keystone Cops and you know, Cops and Robbers, basically. It was about 10 minutes long. And... Uh, uh, entered it in a film cost test and uh, that Kodak was doing and got a, a little award and stuff like that. And uh, it, I got bit by the, the whole idea of being a creator and being a performer. And I knew from that moment on, that's what I was going to do. So after that, I just, I, yeah. So I started, you know, theater in high school and junior high. Started working professionally as an actor when I was 17. Uh, while I was still in high school, worked at the Old Globe Theater in San Diego. Oh, wow. Got mentored by some amazing people uh, who are uh, you know, just just great, great teachers and um, decided that's what I'm going to do. And, and, and that's really where it began. So I, I was one of those kids who, who didn't waver from what I wanted to do right from the very beginning. That is, I mean, to, to know that young... I, I guess I, for me, I had the idea that it would be cool to be a rock star uh, when I was about 10. Of course, you know, the Brady Bunch and the, and the Partridge family were big hits right. about then. Well, I wanted to be that too. I wanted, there was nothing I probably, you know, in the, in the entertainment I didn't want to be. I had a band in junior high school, had my oh, own cool. band. So yeah, there was a little bit of everything. Now, your, your career path wound around quite a bit you were a touring actor for quite a quite a few years right and um i even did but i did busking 
Oh, did you really? On the street. street yeah. I, Where was that? Oh, I did the Pearl Street Mall in Boulder. I did the the Westwood sidewalks in Los Angeles. I did the uh, Washington Square in New York. I did, I mean, there was almost a circuit you could do back then, depending on the weather. Yeah. Wherever the weather was good, you could go. And uh, the last one that was a street performers festival in um, in Florida in the Keys, because it was the like last warm place, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I did all that kind of stuff. Did circus. I worked for Ringling Brothers, learned circus arts. Oh, wow. Um, what was your specialty yeah, in the circus? Uh, I don't know if I had a specialty, really. I was a really good juggler. Oh, wow. And um, But at the same time, I learned how to do stage magic. And then I learned to walk the high wire. And, uh, you know, again, I was sort of like, if it's there, I'll learn to do it. I learned how to eat fire. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I, I just kind of wanted to learn how to do everything. And it was, it was a blast. I love that. I did all that. That is so cool. I mean, yeah. Just to even have that skill set. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know that it comes in handy right now, but uh, you know, it's Kids there. Parties and things like that. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> You're never at a loss for something to do, you know, to show. Very somebody. true. I can, yeah. I can certainly amuse myself. <laughs> And it's like if, you know, you, you never have a bad intro. Um, it's like you always have something that you can kind of pull out of your pocket to introduce yourself to other people that's going to be memorable, right? I guess so. Hi. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I eat fire. How about you? <laughs> and here, how about this quarter from behind your ear? Yeah. I, I always say that my career path either is uh, a, an indication of how varied and wide my abilities are or the fact that I can't hold down a job. <laughs> Well, we'll get to that part. Jury's still out. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a there's a whole new, a whole new movement these days called unemployable. And what oh, it's the whole unemployable yeah. movement of you know. I know what I I'm a card carrying member. Yeah, me too. And it's all right, you know. Sometimes. Hey, that means that you just have to start a business instead. Isn't that a fact? Yeah. Oh. Speaking of starting a business, um, you uh, at one point were doing some pretty high-level writing. Um, you had a company that actually contracted with Disney and some of the other uh, big players in um, in the movies. Right. And can you tell us a little bit about that company and what what that was all about? Well, basically, I had gone to Los Angeles to be a, an actor primarily at first, and did really well. I was on a uh, NBC sitcom and did lots of commercials and all of that. Um, was one of those rare employed actors. Never had to wait, wait tables. Thank you. Um, and then I got I got kind of tired of it. I just decided the auditioning process. I was done and and I wanted to do something else. And I was going to become a writer. I wanted to write sitcoms. I had a business partner, a writing partner. We were going to do sitcoms, and um, instead we ended up writing a uh, an animated musical for Nickelodeon. Oh, wow. And, you know, ended up, I mean, really just kind of fell into it, knew the co-producer, and she said, hey, why don't you turn in a treatment? And, you know, not what we had planned on doing. And somebody at Universal Studios, Universal Creative, which is the ones that they build the theme parks, okay. got a hold of it, liked it. They were doing a thing, a Woody Woodpecker exhibit on animation. And they said, will you come in and give us some ideas and we'll pay you? And we 
the pay you was the magic yeah. <laughs> words there. And so we said, sure. And, um, you know, they liked it enough to hire us to write the script. And the next thing you know, we were being called by other companies, Disney, uh, Paramount, um, and saying, hey, can you come in and brainstorm with us and help us with this project? Yeah. Uh, we were so not aware, we were so not planning on doing that, that two years in, we still didn't have a business card and we were working all the time. That's the best thing. <laughs> yeah. And my partner and I looked at each other at one point and said, well, I guess we're actually doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps we should have, I don't know, a logo or something. I, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, literally it was, it was Hardigan Wade. That was our last names. That was our company, a big, you know, huge uh, budget on, you know, branding. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, that lasted for 12 years and it was really fun. And I got to work all over the world, you know, Japan, Singapore, England, uh, just uh, designing theme park shows and attractions for all the big players. Wow. That's a kid's dream come true. Uh, yeah. Even since then, when I tell people I did that, they go, I didn't even know there was a job like that. That's amazing. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I feel very fortunate. I mean, I wanted to work for Disney when I was, uh, you know, 10 years old because I thought I'll do movies for them, you know, and be in them and all that stuff and never knew that I'd actually end up working for them. So oh, how cool. Yeah. So at some point, uh, uh, in all of that, you were married and uh, a couple of kids joined the family. Right. And um, you all decided at some point that uh, a move was in order. And was, yeah. that, was that the end of your, uh, your writing partnership or did it continue after that? Uh, we tried to keep it going. Uh, one of the things I was fortunate, uh, first of all, was that my writing partner was also my best friend. Yeah. Uh, and we had known each other since high school. And we had performed together for years and toured together. And uh, even were roommates uh, in Florida together. You know, So we were just, and it was sad to, uh, to break that up. But we eventually did have to. I moved to Colorado for the uh, basically quality of life. You know, having, yeah. you know, didn't, we didn't want to raise kids in the middle of L.A., I had been there for 22 years and it was yeah. time for, and I commuted back and forth to LA doing projects uh, for Universal and Disney, et cetera, for about two years after I moved here to wow. Colorado. Uh, but it was really my, my own solo work I was doing. That's amazing it, that you, you were even able to, to continue that for that long. Um, I tried to make myself indispensable to them. <laughs> <laughs> So that they would justify flying me out there and, and doing stuff. And it, it, it was uh, going really well, actually, up until 2009. And then, I mean, I'm sure that the economic uh, collapse that happened at that point had a pretty big impact on what was going on. Was that, was that the main thing that, that brought it to a close? Well... Uh, if you look at it logistically, that is the thing that brought it to a close. In fact, yeah. literally, uh, it was about October of 2008 that I got started getting phone calls of the projects I was doing. I was doing four or five, and they said, um, hmm, we're going to take a little break, <laughs> uh -huh. and but we'll, we're going to reconvene in the new year, and everything will be fine. Uh, I guess they figured I wasn't watching the news because I pretty much figured out quickly that it wasn't going to be fine. There would be no reconvening. Yeah. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Now I say that the logistic part, because I know that you're, you know, we're talking about resetting, you know, like the, the ways in which the life can throw you a curve and what do you do with that? Yeah. 
after the fact, now I, I will be completely transparent here. I was not happy about that. And I spent most of 2009 trying to get work, doing what I had done up until that point, which is when I learned the word unemployable. Yeah. You know, I felt unemployable. I had never done retail or waited tables or, you know, worked in an office or I, I just, it's like anyone building a theme park around here. I'm, I'm your man. And that yeah. wasn't it. Looking back, I read my journal from 2008, the summer of 2008. And in the journal, it said, I think I'm done. I, th I want to do something that's more meaningful to me. Mm. Now, being a stubborn human being, I did not do anything proactively to make that happen. That was not a plan. It was just a plea. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, the universe heard <laughs> and said, oh, fine. Well, we'll just take this away. There we go. You're free. Go be what you want to be. It's not how I saw it at the time. But clearly I was feeling an inner pull yeah. to do something that really meant something to me. The stuff I was doing was fun. It was great, but it didn't have any meaning for me. And um, so I floundered. I floundered for a while. And then um, my uh, wife at the time had been a coach for several years mm -hmm. and she's decided, well, since you're clearly unemployable, uh, which is not the same as being deplorable, by the way. <laughs> yeah, um, not at all. I, I will step up my business and start making more money because she was, we had two little kids and she was really working part-time. And so uh, long story short, I threw in my lot with her mm -hmm. and said, since I'm hitting the wall here, I will help you build this business. I happen to, in my bag of tricks, know how to write HTML and uh, <laughs> you know, do all those kind of things. It was just one of the, it was like, it was one of those things that was useful. Fire eating wasn't going to help at all, but <laughs> knowing how to code was good. So I really did all of the technical work and all, and then learned marketing and uh, learned coaching. And I started to coach as well. Uh, and uh, that went pretty well for a while. I'm really glad that I learned all those things because what I discovered was something that was meaningful. Yeah. Now, and that I really enjoyed coaching. I'm just curious, where along the way did you pick up the knowledge of coding and HTML and things like that? <laughs> I, I'm just one of those like knowledge sponge kind of guys, yeah. you know. I know. And so I, when yeah, I when, don't know anything about that at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't know about that. <laughs> so when that when that was coming out, when Mosaic was first coming out, if you remember Mosaic. Oh my gosh! That, I um. I started to get fascinated with the idea that you could put things up on the internet and how you did that. And I just taught myself, I just got a book and started doing it because it was fun. I find that stuff like that really fun. It's like a rector. It was like an erector set. It was like, Ooh, yeah. I can build something. So that was really it. I, w I had my first website in like, uh, Oh man, uh, 1990 or something like that. Oh, wow. You yeah. Way back. You were, you were at the dawn of the internet. I was, I was, I remember AOL and CompuServe and yeah. I had a, I had an email a, account before anyone I knew did yeah. because I had a friend who was a professor at USC um, and he was going overseas and he had one through the mainframe Oh wow! and he said, we can talk over this thing called email. I'm like, how does that work? It's what, what witchery is this? 
And I remember back then, it's like, I can't believe it. I wrote him and then he wrote back immediately and he's in Germany. This is amazing. Oh man, so, that is so cool. That's how that happened. And you never know. You never know like what was, I never did it because I thought, oh, I can use this later. Yeah. Not even a little bit. Not but. even. Well, <laughs> no. So then moving, moving along into that story, you, you know, you were able to, to start working on the code, building the website. Um, learning the yeah, marketing. All um, I'm a little yeah. curious uh, too about um, in the marketing aspect. Um, mm -hmm. Do you are there a couple of teachers that you can point at as ones that uh, were really really helpful in in learning that uh, that craft? At, at the at the time, it was really when people like um, Frank Kern and mm -hmm. Suzanne Evans and uh, uh, oh, uh, just all sorts of people were not only you know, pioneering marketing on the internet, also pioneering how you could have a, a coaching practice that had a reach that was using virtual as a way of, of con you know, being with people and, and marketing yourself. So those were a couple we had, Suzanne was our coach for a while, quite a while. Um, and uh, I uh, didn't work personally with Frank Kern, but I absorbed a lot of his stuff. And, and again, I was, Anything I do, I just kind of start assimilating it all. So I, w I was Eben Pagan. I mean, you name it, I was yeah. listening to them and trying to figure out what this whole thing was about. So in, in, in putting all of that together, um, I mean, the, the, I think the trick that anybody has with marketing online is kind of rising above the noise. <laughs> and um, there is so much information and so much content now even like every day, I think it doubles. <laughs> I think our exponential growth has just gone crazy. Uh, it is astounding. So I'm kind of curious as to um, what were the important things that you learned about staying visible in the midst of all of that? Hmm. Well, it, because I'm a, 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 a unrepentant serial entrepreneur, I have started more businesses than than I can remember almost. And I, I had started a business a few years back with another partner and we were called the story boys. Mm -hmm. And our, we were marketing consultants and our specialty, not surprisingly was story. Yeah. And we had both come from out of Disney. He was an Imagineer at Disney and we had known each other for years again. And we learned that um, stories are the way that to most effectively communicate anything, especially mm -hmm. marketing. And that if you don't have a story in it at some point, people just, you know, facts don't, don't penetrate. You know, yeah. They don't create the emotional reaction and the bond that you want. So one of the biggest things was that, like, be telling your story, be telling other people's stories, your clients' stories, any of that stuff. Anywhere you can put a story in, do it. And as uh, I can't remember which guru said this, but... Uh, I think it might have been um, uh, uh, his name goes right out of my head. Brown, last name's um, speaker. Okay, well, it'll come. He said, "Never tell a story without a point, and never make a point without a story." Yeah. So that was his his uh, mantra uh, around uh, you know that you, the story is 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 the king. So that was one of the big things. That and be everywhere. Oh. Those were the two biggest things I learned is that, um, you know, you can't overexpose yourself. 
Yeah. Really? Um, so uh, I learned this from a guy named Mike Koenigs. He, he came up with a thing called multicasting, which was basically take, take material and then repurpose it so that you do a, a video that is also a podcast, that is also an article, that is also a, you know, whatever, you name it. Uh, yeah. um, and you just kind of are out there. And that make, gives you visibility. And that has become the rule of the day. I mean, that's yeah. that's where everybody is now, it seems. Right. And this was about, oh, man, six, six seven years ago that he was talking about that. Now, I'm not going to skip any parts of the story, but I am going to fast forward to right now in your life. Okay. Um, and let you fill in the blanks because there are several blanks to be filled. But I'd like to talk a little bit about where you are now. Uh -huh. um, you are now a full-time coach. Yes. And um, you have put together some pretty amazing uh, programs in the last couple of years that have really started to, uh, to find... Uh, the people who are ready for them. Can you talk a little bit about your coaching now and a little bit about how you ended up here uh, and and what are some of the things that are going on in terms of the the programs and services that you're offering and uh, the new uh, the new thing that's coming up in January as well. We'll talk about that too. So Absolutely. That gives you a big palette. But to... that, that is a lot of blanks to fill. <laughs> um, yeah, well, there's there's a theory out there that 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 the the what that you do finds you yeah. uh, and not vice versa. And, and I, I could see that having a lot of validity in terms of how coaching found me um, even when I wasn't looking for it. And uh, so when I started to be able to help people, uh, you know, realize their dreams, solve their problems, it was so gratifying and, and rewarding and um, had an affinity for it. Um, it, it. It was really was a light bulb for me. And yet I didn't know exactly, you know, they always say niche, you got a niche, you got to have a target market. Otherwise, you, you know, you, nobody has a budget to market to everyone, right? And I didn't know what my market was until um, I went through a divorce. Yeah. A divorce and separation and starting in 2015. And um, it was... <laughs> To say the least, I grew a lot, um, and sometimes it was uh, uh, painful, obviously. And sometimes it was just insightful. But out of that, I realized what, from what I learned, going back, we can jump back for a moment, to about 20 years ago, when the men's movement started, with yeah. Iron John and Robert Bly and uh, Michael Moore and all those guys, uh, Fire in the Belly and all those great books that I read. And I was really into that, but it kind of went by the wayside. Well, all of a sudden, those all just popped up again for me and said, hey, Tim, it's time. You've done this work, but now it was hibernating for a while. And now it's time to revisit this idea of what is being a healthy man all about, yeah. especially in relationship. Because, uh, you know, I, I, made a, I made a good number of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> but who's counting Anyway, I learned a lot, and over that course of time, I started just sharing what I had learned with other guys. So in my coaching practice, I work exclusively with men, uh, as of right now, and I help men uh, really learn what it means to be a healthy masculine presence, 
in, especially in relationship. I really call myself a relationship coach for men mm-hmm. as it has evolved. I would say the majority of my clients um, are struggling in their marriage or relationship. A number of them are in the middle of a separation or a divorce. Some of them are post-divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they, uh, it has, I, I guess others have said that often you, you teach best what you most need to learn. Um, uh, I think it was Jonathan Bach. No, Richard Bach. Jonathan Livingston Siegel yeah. that said that, yeah. Um, and it turns out to be pretty true for me. And, and that's been my clientele. And so I've, with another partner, I, I like to partner with people. We mm-hmm. put together an online course called How to Diffuse the Divorce Bomb, mm. which is targeted exactly at guys who have just found themselves in the middle of a, a wife who says, I don't want to do this anymore, pretty much. Uh, we also do retreats, live retreats. Um, here in Colorado, we just did our first one in Mexico about two months ago. And yeah. um, those are awesome. And again, same clientele, all men, all men who want to evolve and you know, get to the, the 2.0 or 3.0 version of themselves. Yeah. So that's, that's what my practice, Tim Wade Coaching, has been up till this point. And um, you mentioned uh, when I saw you last uh, an upcoming retreat in, in May, but that one's already sold out. There's, yes, we do a horse retreat at a ranch here in Colorado in uh, May. That one is sold out already. Um, and then we're doing another Mexico retreat in April. Wow. And there's already, there are only um, eight spots for that one available and three of them are taken. So I'm sure that's going to, to sell out as well. Wow. Are there any kind of like preliminary, um, pre- preliminary steps that a person would have to take if they wanted to join the retreat? Um, for the ranch retreat, the one that's at the, the horses, it's a, it's a beginner's retreat, so to speak. Okay. The Mexico retreat, we've decided to make an advanced sort of thing, which would mean you've either been on a retreat, you've taken a course, you've been a private client, or we've talked on the phone and, you know, decided that it's the right thing for you. It's the, it's for men who have gotten past the hair on fire, I'm going to die stage. <laughs> Or as, as my partner Steve says, death by female. Oh, that, yeah. <laughs> no offense to a meaning, a mean, meant there, but, none. you know, it's, uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's how the retreats work right now. So um, you've also got a new program that's starting up in January. and That's correct. It's brand new. Let's talk a little bit about that one. Now, this is something that has evolved out of... Uh, uh, starting about a year and a half ago, I had some coaches, business coaches that were my own personal coaches who said, I love what you're doing. You're doing great, but just feel like you have something to say to couples, not just men. Yeah. And I said, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then didn't do anything and didn't do anything. And um, then at the right moment, uh, the light bulb really went on. Uh, I went out to dinner with an old friend. Uh, like I said, I love to partner with people. I love, you know, and uh, uh, she and I were on the same page about relationships and coaching. She's a relationship coach as well. And by the end of the evening, we said, you want to do something? Let's do something. <laughs> Which really has been my whole life. Everything I've ever done in my life, it's really started with, you want to do something? <laughs> yeah. You want to play? Okay. What should we do? And I love it that way. I love yeah. that, that, that it's, it's that way. And uh, now, flash forward, um, we have uh, a pilot 
version of our course that's going to start in January. It is aimed at couples. Yeah. It is called the relationship remedy <laughs> uh, with an asterisk for the eye. Um, the subtitle is uh, how to grow together when life tears you apart. And it's uh, it's basically a radical departure from, from couples counseling. Yeah. It's another way of approaching relationship uh, that is not problem focused. And, uh, we, we think it's, it's, it's really effective. We tried it ourselves and, um, it's, uh, pretty experimental in many ways. That's why we're doing a pilot version of it to get a lot of insight into how it works on the ground, so to speak. So we're going to invite six couples, uh, to work on to do it with us. And, uh, we're very excited about it and it's the right, the timing is perfect. I'm right ready for, for, to do that new, this like a kind of another reset in a way, yeah. uh, to now move into that work, which I feel, uh, it's, it's really where I thrive is in relationship. It's why I partner all the time. Yeah. Cause it's where I live. It's where I'm, I'm best is in, is, is with people. Yeah. So I'm, that I'm, is, I'm kind of curious as to. You know, at, at this point, it as you said, it's a lot of experimentation in the new program. But what do you already know um, that you would consider um, different in this program than what couples might find in other couples-oriented programs? Well, it's interesting. Uh, during my 27-year relationship with my uh, ex-wife, uh, we went to seven different couples counselors, which you could on one hand say, was that a clue that perhaps you weren't doing well? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> it's like, yeah, maybe. Uh, that could be. I, it was certainly a learning experience for me in that it never really helped much of anything and sometimes actually made things worse. Yeah. And my experience, it turns out, whenever I have a client who's in this position and they say, and now we've gone into counsel, I, without even to them telling me a thing, I say, so is it going something like this? Uh, you go in the office, you're feeling okay, but not great. Um, uh, therapist says, okay, what is it you don't like about her? Okay, what do you not like about him? Okay, why do you think that is? Where do you think that started? Um, how much does it hurt? And then maybe you'll get to a solution, maybe. <laughs> And for all of those of you out there who are therapists, I have been in therapy for off and on for years. I appreciate therapy. I think it's really fabulous for many things. I'm not convinced that couples therapy is designed in a way that really helps things because it's always seems to be problem focused. Yeah. And I do believe strongly that whatever you uh, focus on increases. Now people might say, wait a minute, if you don't, look at the problems, how do you solve anything? And that's an excellent question, isn't it? <laughs> Our course is really about that, what are the problems is the wrong question. Yeah. That the main thing that you have to get back to, so to speak, although it's interesting, I love the, the, the your podcast is about reset, the fresh start. Our course is about a fresh start. Yeah. It's not about you know, building on the ashes of something that wasn't working. It's about clean slate, fresh start. Okay, now, 
how do you hold the other person in, with great affinity? Mm -hmm. How do you think the best of them 99% of the time? Yeah. How do you, uh, and what we do is we, we say, you know what a mindset is, right? So it's a way of thinking of things. It's the way you're going to set things that I'm going to think about it this way. Well, in, in a love relationship, we call it a heart set. Yeah. It's a way of, of moving into your heart and then seeing the other person through that lens, the lens of compassion, the lens of empathy, the lens of, uh, and, and, you know, a way of looking at someone that, that holds them in high regard. Yeah. Uh, Dr. John Gottman, uh, the Gottman Institute, who's done just amazing scientific work on couples, uh, talks a lot about what happens when couples fall apart is they lose that high regard and that affinity for each other. Right. So all they see are the problems. All they see is the, the wrong and the bad. And that becomes all everything. It's just huge. The way to uh, combat that, so to speak, is not to focus in on that. Right. It's to move back to that place of what were you like when you met? <laughs> when you met, you gave the person the benefit of the doubt. When you met, you were curious about them. It was not, it was not I know everything about you. I know exactly how you're going to react. Yeah. When you met, you held them in high regard. If you didn't, you wouldn't have stayed with them. Yeah. So somewhere along the way, we, lose, we can lose that. And the idea, and this is a simplified version, and there's much more to it, but that's kind of it in a nutshell, is how do you move into a heart set that holds the other person with great love? Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Coincidentally, or perfectly, I don't know, there's a lot of recent neurological scientific evidence that supports the idea that this will shape the, your reality, that this idea shapes your reality. Yeah. There's something called the, the law of expectation, which goes hand in hand with the Pygmalion effect. <laughs> <laughs> I love those names, but um, it's basically, basic, uh, you could put it as you get the world you expect to get. You experience the world the way you expect to experience it most of the time. Yeah. Anais Nin said, we don't see the world as, as it is. We see it as we are. I'm... And it's, if it was ever true, it's, it's true in a personal relationship. I don't think we can see it you... any other way. <laughs> uh, no. And here's the thing. It's not about making that wrong. Yeah. It's not about, well, I'm going to stop doing that. Well, good luck. Stop being human while you're at it. It's about realizing that and then being able to approach it, to use that. Okay, if I perceive the world from the viewpoint that I have, from the, the, the heart set I have or the mindset I have, what if I change that? Yeah. Then I'm going to see it differently. And that's really the whole point. Now, some of these understandings you're already starting to present to your clients and you're noticing some pretty phenomenal results in a short amount of time. Is there, yes. can you talk about that at all? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I have the, uh, the great honor and, and uh, uh, fortune to have a set of guinea pigs. Mm -hmm. And I tell them that they're guinea pigs, so that's okay. Um, but I've, with my male clients, I've, I've said, why don't you try this on? Try this and see if it works. And in, and one was, the first one I tried was not in a, a intimate relationship it was a guy who had a problem with his boss yeah 
And he said, I just, my boss is so controlling and he micromanages everything. He's just, just and he, everybody hates it. He's, it's like he's breathing over your shoulder. And I said, wow, yeah. I said, and how does that make you feel? He says, I hate it. it makes me nervous, makes me upset. I said, okay. Um, would it be interesting to you if you could feel differently about it? And he said, I've tried. I've really tried, but he's just, I just don't like him. I said, okay, got it. I said, I'm going to give you a different way of looking at him from a different place, and it's going to be a place of understanding. Everyone who's a control freak is afraid. All control issues come from fear. I said, he probably is afraid that he's going to screw up. He's afraid he's going to lose his job at any minute, that someone's going to say he's a fraud and shouldn't, doesn't belong there. His family's going to go hungry. He, he has learned to adapt, probably from a young age, that if you try to control everything, everything will be okay. He's terrified. Mm-hmm. And my client got this big smile on his face all of a sudden. I said, what do you, what's, what's going on for you? And he said, I, that's completely different. I, I <laughs> never thought of him like that. I said, now, do you think the next time he's like that, that you could step into that? frame of mind or that heart set and go, oh, he's just afraid. He's afraid. We all have fears. He's afraid. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to love his behavior. That doesn't mean you're going to say, oh, yeah, he's he's my buddy now. But here's what it does. That compassion and empathy allows you to not suffer the way you've been suffering. It allows you to be different. He will be the same. More than likely, he will be the same. This is not about changing him. It's about changing your experience of him so that you can be happier, more content, more peaceful, more loving, all the things you want to be, right? He said, it was like a a light bulb for him. And um, I actually just talked to him today. And I said, how's it going with your boss? And he said, completely different world, completely changed. He doesn't bug me anymore. You know, and he does something, and I just sort of shrug and go, well, his fear's coming up. He's afraid. Got it. All right. Keep going. And, and, and part of what, I, what he learned through that was that all of those things his boss was doing had nothing to do with him. Yeah. It had nothing to do with him. It was all what was going on internally for his boss. Yeah. And he was able to have some understanding, some insight. So then we, of course, moved that over to, his, uh, he's in the middle of the divorce, so he's soon to be ex-wife. Yeah. How could, I said, how can you go through this divorce holding your ex-wife with high regard? Yeah. He was like, I don't know how to do that. And I said, that's why we're here. <laughs> because you want to look back on this time. And I'll tell you, um, my ex and I have done that. Yeah. And we have an extraordinary, you know my ex, and yeah. we have an extraordinary friendship and relationship. Our kids are doing really, really well because we refuse to do anything but hold each other in high regard, even though it was painful, even though it was difficult. So the stuff really works, I have to say. <laughs> I, have, I have it on anecdotal <laughs> evidence and authority. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I've, yeah, I've tried it with several of my clients on, in different uh, situations, different content. Yeah. But it always, you know, boils down to the same thing. You know, they say that there's only fear and love. Those are the two, the two big umbrellas, right? Yeah. So this is really about how can you be within love? How do you step into love? Wonderful.
Well, if someone was listening to this and um, said all of a sudden, I really need to talk to this guy, how would they reach you? Uh, you can go to timwadecoaching.com. That's one way to get a hold of me. Okay. And you can also uh, email me at tim at timwadecoaching.com. All right. Pretty the easy to thing, remember. Uh, the other thing I would mention is that Tim is available uh, both as a podcast guest and as a speaker for events and things of that nature. Um, and I would let you know that he does um, extraordinary work in front of a group of people um, and would encourage you, if you're looking for a speaker for your event, that he's your guy. Thank you. Yeah, man. Well, our time has rapidly come to an end, mister. Uh, As all things, good things do. <laughs> and I just, uh, I cherish the time that I get to spend with you. And um, I hope that uh, other people will understand a little bit today about why that is. Um, and well, I just I appreciate it. I feel the same way about you, Franklin. So yeah, Thank you so much, Tim. Again, timwadecoaching.com is where you can find the man. And, uh, cool. and they're calling now already. That's awesome, Tim. I, man, that's almost like uh, PBS uh, fundraising week. Yeah, yeah. Operators are standing by. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to listen to, subscribe, and review the Reset Podcast. The Reset Podcast features interviews, insights, and in-depth reflections that will help you navigate your own fresh start. If you'd like to be a guest or share an idea for a topic you'd like to hear about, please contact podcast at franklintaggart.com. I offer a wide range of services to people who are ready to live with clear direction, new possibilities, greater freedom, and unlimited creativity. If you're looking for a new beginning, I'm available to help you. More information is available at franklintaggart.com. The Reset Podcast is a production of Franklin Taggart and Make Your Own Way Media, all rights reserved.